Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 56 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. I, as always, am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle of the beautiful Midwest. Um, so yeah, last last episode, I broke down my favorite games I played in 2023. So to continue that, um, I'm going to do the, my favorite movies I saw this year. Um, and actually, amazingly, all of them are from this year, I'm pretty sure, which is actually kind of impressive for the most part anymore. Um, they usually don't tend to see movies till much after they've been released. So, but anyways, so let's just, let, let's just jump right in, shall we? Um, okay. So for the first one I'm going to talk about this, this one came out of nowhere to me just because I didn't think that, that it would ever work as a movie. But, uh, didn't write down the director, dang it. Um, but they, they, they cracked the code on this one. Uh, and it's Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Um, man, there's, there's not enough good things to say about this. I mean, really it is just like, they, they saw the formula that, uh, James Gunn used for Guardians of the Galaxy and The Suicide Squad and that kind of stuff. And they made basically they took that and just put it into a fantasy world really dug into the lore of dungeons and dragons so much so that i ended up like just falling down rabbit holes just trying to find uh all the information like about like all the little easter eggs hidden within there um led by uh chris pine uh chris pine who is a bard i do not remember his character's name and he is uh, he and his best friend, who is a orc played by Michelle Rodriguez, are thieves, but they steal the wrong thing from the wrong people, thus thrusting them into this adventure. Man, this is so. I mean, it it really, like I said, it really does kind of feel like it would be a James Gunn movie. Um, you know, the the group of characters that you know kind of come together in this one. You know, they all have their own little quirks. I mean, you have a, a mage that's not really great. Not really a great mage. Um, yeah, it, I mean, I just, I just don't know what all to say about this movie. It was super fun. Uh, you know, really engaging. Even if you don't know the deep stuff to Dungeons & Dragons, it's still got something for you. It just has that much more if you know a lot of the Dungeons & Dragons stuff, which I don't know a whole lot of Dungeons & Dragons stuff, hence why I had to do the rabbit hole thing. But, man, this this movie, you know, this movie hit everything I needed, um, so much so that I picked up a copy of it just because it was a lot of fun, and I think the story it tells is really, really good. Um, the special effects are pretty good, you know, Everything just just worked, you know. And then you know when you get into the Easter egg stuff, like I mean, like I remember way back in the day when I was a kid. I don't even know if it was playing as a new show or if it was uh, already in reruns because I'd never looked up when it came out. But like they have the characters from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon show from somewhere in the eighties, I believe. Um, like if you look very carefully in the background at one point in time and there's a whole lot of stuff like that. I mean, like they don't really go out of their way to be like, you know, like they use a special spell that might like have some kind of significance 
It's not like they pause and be like, hey, kids, look, it's this. You know, it just it happens. Then you can kind of just later Google like, okay, what spell was that she used? You know, or, or something along those lines. And man, it just... You know, I mean, Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez, I think, are a great little twosome. And then you put in, um, like, all the side characters. Like, Hugh Grant is just an awesome, like, shit heel character in this one. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely suggest checking this one out if you're a D and D fan or not. If you just like a fa- like a good fantasy comedy, this is a good one for you. Um, yeah. So, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Um, once again, I had kind of low expectations when I first heard about it because I, I know the the bad track record of Dungeons and Dragons movies. Um, okay, this next one I was hyped about, and it did not disappoint. Even if I will probably never watch this movie again, just be well. I will say I won't say never because I could see somewhere down the line revisiting this one, and that is Talk to Me. Um, man, this one like was, had me so unsettled, uh, went and saw this one in theaters with a friend and, uh, yeah, I didn't realize how tense I was watching it until the movie was over and my body kind of like naturally relaxed and I just felt sore everywhere because I was just so like knotted up from watching this one. Um. How to best describe this story without giving too much away. Um, Really, it's a story of uh, the main character lost her mom. I think it's like a year or two years before the movie begins. And when she lost her mom, she definitely like never really uh, processed it. And it's like it, it changed her life drastically when her mom passed. Um, but in this, you know, in the current time frame, you know, she's, she keeps hearing all these stories about like these, these two kids at school that get together and they're posting the videos of this online and they think it's hoax, but they, they decide to go to one of the parties anyway, so they can check it out where she agrees to, you know, basically be like a volunteer for it. And what they do is they bring out this. They, they kind of give like several stories of what it could be. So you never really get the full story. And I kind of hope they never do give a full story of like where this, this thing came from. But it's like a mummified hand. And they sit her in a chair. They like, like take belts and like belt her to the chair so she can't go anywhere. And she's at first a little bit like curious about it. Because she's like, why are they doing this? And they're like, hey, it's for your own safety. Trust us. But once she's belted in, they put this hand in front of her and they tell her to grab onto the hand and say, talk to me. Well, when she does this, suddenly there is a ghost on the other end of the, like out on the other side of the table. And at first they don't show you what she sees. They just show her, grab a hold of this mummified hand, say, talk to me, and then panic and drop it. And you're like, okay, what happened? And so she grab like you know like they calm her down a little bit and she grabs it again and says talk to me and then it shows you what she's seen and i don't know if it's the same ghost on the other side this time or if it like it changed in between uh while she was like doing this like kind of like panic attack thing um 
but it's like this ghost of someone that looks like they drowned or whatever. And so she's seen it and then they tell her, okay, now, now say, let, I let you in. And she hesitates for a second, but then she says it and it allows this ghost to possess her. And they buckle her in because you never know what these ghosts are going to do when they've got control of the body. And, oh man, but it's like, this movie is like a slow decline into madness because it's, and it, it, and it, I could see a lot of people saying that it seems like it might be a, um, uh, an analogy for like party drugs because at the beginning of the movie, you know, when they first start using it, it's just kind of like this thing that she's doing with this group. But then she almost becomes like addicted to it. Like, you know, every time they're doing one of these parts, she has to be there and she has to try it. And one thing I think it does really well away from the horror aspects. So the horror aspects are like intense and really, really interesting to watch. Um, but, you know, the is like kind of the the fun aspect of it, because like there's a like a um, a montage scene where it shows like people just rotating in and out, like doing the pair, you know, the being possessed. And it's really, really fun. But then at the same time, you get stuff that's really harrowing because like um, she the main character, her best friend, and her little brother there at that first party. And while she's under, she says some like really creepy shit to the little brother. Um, and I think it's like the next time they actually do one of these parties, the brother, uh, maybe it's like two of them down the line. I can't remember. But anyways, the brother really wants to try and the older sister's not okay with it. And she leaves the room for whatever reason. And they make a deal that, you know, like he can have 30 seconds with possess, like, you know, he they'll give him 30 seconds or whatever. Cause I think it's like you have, but you have to be let go by 90 seconds or you may not be able to close the door that this hand opens. Um, and this, th that's the point where like, I'm not going to get into what happens, but this is the point where it really kind of really goes dark. Um, these to say things don't go as planned and you start to question like, is the, did the door get closed? Um, I mean, even after her first usage, you can kind of see things like bleeding through almost. Like, maybe she wasn't, uh, maybe she was more susceptible to it. I don't know. It's just, but like, there's definitely like signs that maybe things are bleeding through between these two worlds. Um, and, the more she uses it, it seems like the more the the other side is kind of coming through. Um, once again, I'm not going to spoil any, anything else about this movie. I'm giving you the base thing, and I'm just going to say it is really good. But do not, do not go in expecting a light watch. It does do some very, very crazy and very uncomfortable things. But man, is it a good watch. Ugh. Sorry, I had to get my drink, my a little drinky drink of coffee. Um, my instant human juice. Okay, so for the next one, this is this is another one I was really anticipating because I had a feeling it was going to be the end of a series, um, and I really kind of wanted to see they were going to wrap it up. Even though I didn't care for the third one as much, I think the third one was good, 
But it definitely is one of those series where there's diminishing returns, except for, I think... Okay, anyways. John Wick Chapter 4. Um, I remember hearing a lot about the original John Wick movie. Only ended up seeing it because Tony bought it at one point in time. And we watched it, and I'm like, oh my god, this movie is awesome. I mean, the story is good, don't get me wrong. But really, it's the, these movies are way more about the violence. But... The saga of John Wick that is told throughout the four movies is really, really good. Um, definitely escalating and like some of the characters they bring in as you get deeper into the series get kind of cool. But this movie, I, I feel like it delivered. I think it delivered a really good wrap up to the John Wick story that they were telling. While at the same time leaving a lot open... To do more in the universe, whether it's with John Wick or not. Um, after this one, I'd really like to see a John Wick prequel. Like, see see what led him to get out of the hitman industry. Um, if you're not familiar with John Wick movies, basically it's, you know, Keanu Reeves is a former hitman in this very, very rich world of hitmen. Where there's like an own, its own currency and... There's hotel safe houses all over the world. But anyways, in the first one, John is like just lost his wife. He got out of the business because of his wife. They make that very clear. And she just died. I think it's of cancer. And she leaves him a puppy. Um, he also has a very badass car. I do not know what kind of car it is. I just know it's badass. And it goes vroom. And it's awesome. But uh, in the, the first movie, he... Uh, he's at first he kind of doesn't want the dog but then it's like you know he's out driving with the dog and he starts bonding with it and falls in love with this dog because it's all he has left of his wife because um, she like basically gifted it to him on her deathbed so he wouldn't be alone Um, but he's at a gas station and this kind of slimy kid like offers him a bunch of money for his car and he's like no the car's not for sale sorry and he gets in his car and he goes, you know, goes along his way. Well, this kid is an entitled little bastard and decides to follow him home with his buddies. And that night they break into his house. They kick the shit out of him and they kill his dog so they can take his car. Um, it does not show the death of the dog. You just hear the gunshot as he's passing out, and when he wakes up, the dog is dead on the floor. It is the hardest part of this series to get through, because I'm sorry, uh, violence against dogs for some any animal really, makes it hard for me to watch a movie sometimes. But anyways, this sets off the, the path that he's on. He decides, you fucked with me, I'm going to get, I'm going to, basically he decides he's going to come after this kid because this kid killed his dog and stole his car. Then you later, then you come to find out that John Wick, like I said, you don't know that he was a former hitman until after this. Cause he goes to his basement, like takes a sledgehammer and breaks open this chest and pulls out a bunch of guns and these gold coins. And you find out the kid that stole his car and killed his dog with his buddies is like the son of a Russian hitman, I believe is what he is. And, the kid didn't even want the car for himself. And I must say the, the, the main antagonist, the kid is played by, uh, I cannot remember the actor's name, but he played, uh, 
uh, Theon Greyjoy in Game of Thrones. So he's he's really good at playing the kind of sleazy character. I mean, given Theon wasn't necessarily always a sleazy character, he was just a questionable one at points. Um, but yeah, he uh, who man, he, uh, he so John basically vows revenge and comes out of retirement, so to speak, to come after this kid. And the first one sets up some of the best moments, has, still has some of the best moments. You know, one, the kid trying to take the car and takes it to a chop shop run by John Leguizamo, who the second he sees the car basically tells him, get this car out of my fucking shop now. And the kid starts to, to freak out or like starts to fight against him. Like, oh, well, you know who my dad is. Don't You can't tell me no. John Leguizamo just full on slap, like open hand bitch slaps the kid. Tells him to get the fucking car out of his house, out of his garage. You flash to later that night, and John Leguizamo gets a call from Daddy, from Daddy, so, uh, and asks like why he hit his son. And this is simply how you find out that basically this kid fucked with the wrong person because John Leguizamo simply tells this badass Russian hitman, "Well, sir, he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog," and. All you see on the face of this father is his, you know, jaw drop, like kind of like this, this look of, oh shit. And he says, oh, and hangs up. Well, the, the first movie just basically, it, it wraps with him getting his revenge. There's, there's no worries this point in that one. And from then on, it just kind of becomes this chain reaction of his decision to take the guns back up to go after this entitled prick um opens up pandora's box where you know now you find out that oh well he made a deal with a blood pact with somebody that he was getting out of the business and they helped him get out but by picking up his guns again he's now bound to like bound to this person for one hit and the person this guy wants killed is his sister who's at the high table is what they call it. It's like basically like, you know, they, I don't think they ever really give you a good grasp on exactly how big the high table is or anything like that. I don't remember at least, but she's high up in this, you know, she's like, what's the word for it? You know, if, if there were like a Royal family, so to speak of in this, this hitman world, they would be like the top of it, even though none of them are related. They're just like basically high powered people within this world. And so he has to kill somebody from the high table, which then just starts a cascade effect leading into this fourth one. Um, you know, the third one, he is basically just more him. Like basically he's trying to be on the run. Like he's, he's on the run because of actions he has taken the second one. He's now, basically an enemy to everyone so he's got all the he's got a hit out on his head um and everything leads into this one being like basically basically this is is the like him trying to make the final play to get out of the you know get away from this life again even if it means like taking out the high table, the, the entire high table themselves. 
And man, this movie, it delivers. Like, I think the action is on point. It definitely keeps up with the first three. Um, and I think that, uh, oh God, Skarsgård. I can't think of what, is it Alexander Skarsgård? Uh, I, I don't remember. I, I don't remember the Skarsgård brothers' names very well. Um, but the the one that played Pennywise plays the main villain in this one, and man, he does a a good job at just being a slimy piece of shit in this movie. But of course, it like you know it it they have to have a a, a final showdown because of the way this works. Like Keanu Reeves challenges him basically, and it puts him in a place where. Like, he has to be in a specific place at a specific time to basically settle this. And then it becomes a story of basically Skarsgård's character is doing everything he can to stop Wick from even making it to this. Because if he makes it to it, he knows there's a chance he's going to die. Where if he stops, like, basically... Keanu Reeves' life is forfeit if he can't make it to the specific place at the specific time for the showdown. Um, but yeah, man, this this movie is really good. Um, Donnie Yen does a really good job in it. Um, oh, I cannot remember the other uh, other Japanese actor that has a part in this one, but he he's been in a lot of other movies that I really liked. I think he's a great actor, and he he puts on a great performance as like another like ally of John Wick who is even willing to put his own his own reputation at risk to to help Wick. Um, so yeah, chapter four, John Wick chapter four. If you like the first one, you like the second one, you like the third one, you, you, sh- you at least need to see the end of the series. And I really think it does a good job. And it has probably the most logical ending you could have this, this movie franchise end with. So, yeah, John Wick Chapter 4. Um, okay. Ooh, moving on to one. Um, this one's going to be kind of a little bit shorter because I have talked about this one on here before. Uh, Scream 6. I had fun with it. Like I've, I've revisited it since I recorded the podcast talking about it. And while I still don't care, I still think it falls apart a little bit at the very end. I can I, I think I I appreciate more what they were doing with it now. Um yeah, k- killer reveal aside, it's it's still a solid movie. It definitely takes things um to a really good like I think the appropriate level other than the stakes really kind of fall apart when you see a character just get stabbed brutally by two different ghost face. And somehow he's alive at the end. Um, and I will say the big, the biggest sad thing to Scream Six now is the fact that we're never, we're probably not ever going to get a continuation of the story that started in five and continued in six because uh, that Melissa Borellis or Breas or however you pronounce her name, she's walked away from Scream Seven. Um, Jenna Ortega, who plays her little sister, has walked away. So now it looks like the only people that are left from the the core four, um, as they call themselves in six, is the is the niece and nephew of Randy from the original Scream, uh, the twins. They're 
There's the sounds like they're going to be the only ones left, but I don't even know if Scream 7 needs to come out now. Um, because I know, like I said, with those two walking away and with all the stuff with set with uh, the directors, even like, no, I, I had to back out. You know, it, it seems like Scream 7 might be in uh, might be in hell now, which is a shame because I really like what I liked where they could have gone from the end of six um so yeah that's that's my i guess my updated opinions on scream six uh okay so now to one i saw just more just recently and i really liked it i think it's a great continuation god it's another sequel how many i got a lot of sequels on here um anyways uh spider-man across the spider-verse um this movie did everything it needed to do to continue the story told in into the Spider-Verse. You know, Miles Morales is definitely feeling a little lost trying to be Spider-Man and be a student and not being able to communicate anymore with Gwen and the you know, his core friends that he had in uh that he met through into the Spider-Verse. Um until one day, like, Gwen shows back up, and you kind of gather that there's something else going on with her. And it starts, uh, basically, it just starts a cascade of, like, going through these different universes. So you get to see, um, like, uh, a, a Hindu Spider-Man. You know, uh, I can't remember what what the character's name was. <clears throat> But no, it's it's this does a really good job. Um, I wasn't bothered by the ending because I knew that this was only a part one of two. Even though I don't think they're still considering this one part one, I think they're still. I think they're gonna. I don't think the second one's gonna be called Across the Spider Verse Part Two. I think it's gonna have another, you know, subtitle. Um, but no, this this one does a really good job at taking everything you had in the first one. And expanding on the universe. Um, you know, like, I like the fact that you get to see Peter, or not Peter, um, Miles kind of struggling with where he's at in his life. Um, you get to see a lot more backstory to Spider-Gwen, which I was really happy about because I think they do a really good job with that backstory, as well as introducing you to a bunch more Spider-Men. Like, um... They inter- they bring in Spider Punk, and I love the fact that, like his his animation is like totally like glitchy, like there's there's like almost like there's like cells missing from the animation, so he jumps around a little bit, and I kind of like it. Um, I could see how people would probably be bothered by it, but I kind of like the way he, you know, because he is this, you know, like anti authority kind of thing. It kind of makes sense that even his animation is kind of like fighting the system, so to speak. Um, but this also brings in the, you know, the, the character teased at the end of the first Spider-Man, uh, uh from into the Spider-Verse. They, cause they bring in Miguel O'Hara, AKA Spider-Man 2099. And you find out that basically like he's, He's kind of like leading a group that is designed to like stop like it's kind of similar to the 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 group in the Loki TV series where like if there's something that is branching away 
as far as like, if, is there a, if there's an alternate version of something, they're trying to stop that from existing, so to speak. Um, but in doing so, it kind of also makes you wonder about, you know, is what they're doing right kind of thing? Because they're, they're really just kind of stopping things because it's it because I, I won't get into the exact reasons why Miguel O'Hara is so gung-ho for this but it man it does a really good job at building the universe you know getting to see some of these other worlds and you get to see like there's a point where he's walking through this headquarters and you get to see so many different versions of Spider-Man that are probably like most of them are probably like one-off characters or a lot of them might have been created specifically for this movie. I don't know. But, like, you get to see the original Scarlet Spider. You get to see uh, Web Slinger, I think is what they call him. It's like a cowboy version of Spider-Man. This movie was fun. And it does have a cliffhanger ending. It definitely does leave you in a place like, okay, now I got to wait a year for the sequel, which originally wasn't supposed to be the the plan because before the writer strike, it was supposed to be uh, across the Spider Verse Part One came out this year, and then the next part was supposed to take place. Well, I guess well twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four. Like I think it was like in April of twenty twenty four, they were supposed to do the second part. Well, that got dropped because of um, because of the writer's strike. So now it's got a little bit more of a cliffhanger to it. But man, fun watch. Does a great job at building the universes. I have to say plural because there are multiple universes that they touch on in this one. Um, and... The, the little tease at the end definitely builds for, makes it interesting to see what what's going to happen going forward. Oh. Okay, moving on to my next film. Um, this is another one I was super excited for. Um... From the second they announced it, I'm like, well, at least want to see what they're going to do with it. And then start hearing early reviews of it and was like, okay, this is actually going to work, hopefully. And that is Evil Dead Rise. Um, man, this movie does everything right. Uh, the The director definitely... Uh, what's the word? What was the term I was looking for? He understood the assignment. Um even though by doing the movie the way he does it, like he took a big risk because he takes it out of like, you know, Evil Dead movies have always been, oh, Cabin, Book of the Dead, Deadites come out, haunt these people at a cabin. Well, minus Army of Darkness, which I like the movie, but it, it's, like I said, it, it kind of doesn't really fit in with the rest of the series. But anyways, um, at least not perfectly. Uh, but no, Evil Dead Rise takes it to, it takes place in this uh, apartment building that they kind of hint at several times is like on the edge of just basically being like declared uh, uninhabitable. And 
it follows oh what is anyways it follows the the main character is a former roadie or she is a roadie like you know and she's been on the road for a long time but she comes the beginning of the movie she finds out she's pregnant and she decides she's going to go visit her sister in whatever city they're in um because they never really i don't think they ever really tell you what city they're in but uh she gets there and it's her sister and her three kids. And she instantly finds out that her sister's, you know, now divorced and they're losing their apartment because this building's about to be closed. So they're trying to figure out where to go. And all this stuff happened while she was, you know, while the main character was off, you know, touring with this band. Um, but while uh, to get the kids out of the house for a brief amount of time so that the two sisters can talk, um, the mother sends the three kids to go get pizza and everything so that they can talk about like what happened with her ex-husband, with the ex-husband, and you know, like why the, the sister has decided to come visit now. And when the kids are on their way back, they're like in the parking structure, earthquake hits and it opens up a hole and the sun goes down into this hole and finds like a, a bank vault. And in the bank vault, he finds a book, very creepy looking book, shocker, I know, Evil Dead movie, and then some vinyls. And this, the kid, the, the son really likes, like he does like, the beginning of the movie, he's like doing like DJing things in his room. So it's like he grabs the vinyls, I'm guessing, like as a, you know, ooh, like maybe I can do something with these. Well, he uh, he finds the vinyls, everything, and then gets like, you know, I can't remember what exactly that, but something scares him and he gets out of there and he brings the vinyls and the book with him. And what follows, I mean, is pretty predictable. Plays the records, the records read. Uh, you know, the records feature uh, read, reading from the creepy book, thus releasing Kandarian demons into this high rise. And the first person to be possessed is the mother. And man, this movie does not pull punches. Like, everything that happens in this movie is just brutal. The second the first possession happens... It just goes balls to the wall from there. Um, all the all the actors in this movie, including the the youngest daughter, who is actually kind of shocking because she's really young, and I really usually don't care for really really young actresses or kid actors in general because they usually just they can't they can't keep up, so to speak. But this the little girl just nails it for her part. Um, but man, this movie is just intense from the second the first possession kicks in till the last frame of the movie um where and you kind of get these wraparound points in there where it, it does show a little bit of like where the story could be going and i'm really hoping that they do give this director another movie because i'd love to see where he'd take it from here because there's definitely some opportunities for some really messed up stuff. And in a weird way, I'm like, this one could have could be the uh 
could be the bridging point where you could bring Jane Levi's character back from Evil Dead 2013 and possibly even, if he'd be willing to do it, Bruce Campbell come back as Ash one last time and have like kind of like a trio of people taking on the Deadites. I'd, I'd be okay with that. Um, but the, the nostalgia alone would get me on that one. But yeah, Evil Dead Rise, so good. The meaning has, or this the the name has technically could have two meanings behind it, depending on how you look at it. So yeah, Evil Dead Rise, great horror movie, great movie in general. But and and the the family aspect that they they introduce in this one really sells. Like it it really is for the most part. It really is like a family drama just. Interrupted by Kandarian demon possession. <clears throat> okay, and now on to the last movie I have on my list, which I actually just recently saw. Um, it was good. It's It wasn't as great as some of the previous installments. Once again, this is unfortunately a sequel because there was a lot of good sequels that came out this year and that is mission impossible dead reckoning i'm not calling it part one because they no longer are calling it part one even though it says it on the front of the blu-ray um yeah this one like if you like the mission impossible movies it it's more of the same you know ethan hunt puts together a team has to stop something major i mean especially from like the fourth one on I'd say the third one on, you kind of have an, a more overarching narrative going on in the movies. Because, like, the first two were kind of, like, standalone tales. Although this one does bring back an aspect of the original Mass, uh, Mass Effect Mission Impossible movie. But, um, no, this one, it... I think the only thing that really hurt this one was... A decision they made for some characters and then the main villain being like this like essentially an AI like so it's kind of getting into the whole thing of like oh well this is why AIs are dangerous and it's cool but at the same time it's like this movie could be hurt depending on how they wrap up the story because this one once again does end with quite the cliffhanger um so you really don't know where they're going to go from, you know, from the point they're at um, where the movie ends. And I mean, it does just suddenly end, too. Because like, you're okay. Okay, they've got what they need. They got what they need. And then, bam, it's over. And you're like, what? 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 No! Um, so I am excited to see where they go with whatever they're calling the next one. I'll just call it Dead Reckoning Part 2 for right now. Um, but... This one definitely could, like I said, this one could be a make or break depending on how they wrap up this one in the next movie. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I I really wish they wouldn't have made a couple choices like midway to three quarters of the movie they make a choice that I was like, I don't think that was the right choice. But okay, okay. Um... So yeah, that 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 one, this one like does like I said it it since it's dealing with an AI, it does it does get to do some really cool things because, you know, they're a technology like most of their, you know, t 
tech is now can be used against them in this this world because this AI basically is everywhere. Um, so much so, like there is a really cool point where it's like basically uh, Ethan thinks he's talking with uh, Simon Pegg's character, but really what's going on is the AI has like basically like sampled his voice and is using his voice to give Ethan directions, but to direct him away from where he needs to be to uh, do the right thing. I, I don't know of a better way to put it without giving spoilers. Um, so from that aspect, it is kind of a cool concept. But I still kind of wait to like, you know, like this is definitely like barely made it on the list kind of thing because of potential. But at the same time, this one could easily be wrecked by that same potential if they don't follow up properly. Um, I mean, it, that, that said, I think that uh, all the, the the actors that they bring into this one do a great job as their parts. Like uh, the, the piece that carries over from the original one is... They bring back the actor from the first one who was like the head of IMF. And so his part to play in this is pretty interesting. Um, Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg just nail it as usual with their their parts. Um, Tom Cruise, you know, he's carrying that fr this franchise for the moment. And that's like, that's okay. I think this is some of the best work he's been doing. Um uh oh i just had her name and i lost it i know Haley atwell is someone they introduce like new in this one and her character i don't know what to do with her character at the moment um they've set some interesting groundwork with her but i'm still not 100 percent sure i know like how to feel about her character for the most part and then the tour de force that is Rebecca Ferguson. I think everything she's been in, I've at least liked what she's done. And her character from the, what, she the fourth or the fifth one they introduced her on, she has just been a character that I love to see come back. Um, I think her and Tom Cruise and the rest of the group all have a really, really good, uh, um, like a really good rapport as far as like the way they play off each other. And I think that really builds for it. So like I said, we'll, we'll see where, where the mission impossible franchise goes with the next one. I'm, I'm hopefully optimistic because really they haven't let me down yet. I, I think I've had fun, at least had fun with all of the movies in this series. If I had to choose one to be the weakest, I'd say it'd be two for some reason two just doesn't work for me the way like one is a straight up true Mission Impossible. Like if you liked the TV series, the first one is definitely Mission Impossible, is definitely the Mission Impossible for you. The second one being, I think it was a John Woo movie, is good, the action is pretty cool, but like, I don't know, for some reason the story just didn't click for me on that one. But the third one on, like the first, First one's great, and the third one on has just become what it is to me now, where it's, you know, the, the stories get ramped up, the action is better, the, 
you know, the the character play definitely comes... I, I think it's, like, where 4 is where they bring in, like, Simon Pegg's character. And probably also where they brought in... I can't remember if Rebecca Ferguson showed up in the the fourth or fifth one first. But I know she's been in several of them since her debut. But, um, yeah, so Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Um... And yeah, that's that's the movies I have to talk about. So, those are the movies that I really liked this year. Um, just to give you a quick wrap up, I will just read them out here. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, great movie. Um, talk to me. If you like uncomfortable horror, go for it. Um, John Wick Chapter 4. If you've seen the first three, you at least got to see this one to wrap it all up. Um, Scream 6. Definitely come around a little bit on this one since when I first saw it. Um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. There was no way that movie was going to be bad to me. Uh, Evil Dead Rise. Another one, there was no way that I wasn't going to like it because I'm a huge Evil Dead fan. And Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Um... So yeah, what are what are some movies that you saw that sorry, in 2023? I have to remember we're in 2024 now. Uh what are some movies you saw in 2023 that you really liked that I may not have mentioned? Do you have any comments on the ones I chose? Um let me know. You know, you can you can reach me at standstrongcast at gmail.com. So yeah, I guess I will with that I will say thank you for listening. Thank you everyone for supporting me. And I will talk to you in two weeks. Bye-bye.